Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Matt Deacon. On the show today, it's a special episode and I'm joined by journalist Nick Wallace. We talked about the Paul Foot Awards for Journalism, where Fleet Street's finest gathered this week. Also on the agenda, Nick shares his experience covering the post office horizon scandal and the Depp Heard libel trial. Plus, how he navigates social media when wading through controversial cases and the state of trust in journalism. That's all coming up in this edition of the Media Podcast. So this week was privatised Paul Foot Awards, shining a light on great investigative journalists. All nominees did excellent work and well done to Hannah Al Othman and David Collins for winning the top prize for their investigation into the murder of Agnes Wanjiru in the Sunday Times. Also at the awards, our guest today, Nick Wallace, along with Richard Brooks, got a special award for the work on the post office scandal, covering one of the greatest miscarriages of justice in the UK's history. And Nick's worked across TV, radio and online and most recently he's been following the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial in the US. Nick, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Kind of you to have me. Uh, So it's been a busy week for you and not just because you've been to see Adam Ant. Um, (laughs) You had a fun time at privatised Paul Foot Awards, which I assume you went along just because you thought you were going to watch it be awarded to someone. Yes, uh, it was as much fun as seeing Adam Ant. I thought it was going to be an opportunity because... I've never been invited to the Paul Foot Awards before and Private Eye is a magazine which means a huge deal to me. I read it growing up. I've been a subscriber for, it must be more than 20 years now. And when I started working with the Private Eye staffer, Richard Brooks, back in 2011, it was, it was a genuine joy. He has been a fantastic journalist in many regards. I mean, he, he's one of these people who toils away in the background, getting very little credit for the incredible work that he does. And when he suggested that we collaborate on a Private Eye special about the post office scandal, I obviously leapt at the chance because it meant I got an opportunity to go to the Private Eye offices, this legendary magazine, and work with him. And yes, he and I were given a surprise special award on Tuesday night, which blew me away frankly it was in honour of the late John Sessions with the award supplied by an anonymous benefactor who Ian Hislop said will never be made public but I'm obviously extremely grateful to whoever that is and Ian obviously was happy to turn that into a special award to recognise what Richard and I did and so there are photos of me with my eyes wide open looking completely discombobulated by the whole experience. <laughs> it, w- it was quite something, especially 
because private eye means so much to me and there were so many great journalists in the room i haven't really processed it yet but i'm very very proud to a slightly tedious degree and yes now i've had three nights out in a row because i've been to two gigs and and, and one private eye awards and now now i just want to lie down (laughs) well let's go back in time so we talked about in the intro this post office scandal for people who have maybe been under a rock or vaguely aware of it where did you come into the story and uh what were you first told well you'd be surprised how many people don't know about the story it's something that i think uh, most people in the media and most journalists are now aware of. But I'm not entirely sure if you chucked a rock, it would hit someone who did know about the post office scandal. It started in the late 90s when the post office decided it wanted to automate its systems. And the post office is a very strange beast. It has this, it's the oldest government agency. It's got its roots back in Charles II's time. It's older than the Union of England and Scotland. So it's older than Great Britain. It's older than the British Empire. And it has this extraordinary proximity to power, which makes it incredibly dangerous. And in the late 90s, early 2000s, it was treated as an arm's length business, so owned by the government, but allowed to just get on with things. It decided it was going to automate. It brought in this disastrous computer system, which didn't work. And when the computer system started throwing up holes in postmaster accounts, the post office decided that its postmasters were thieves and that they should be prosecuted using the post office's own investigators and prosecutors. So without all the checks and balances that you'd expect from a police investigation or or the CPS getting involved, the post office, using dodgy figures from its own IT system, essentially ruined the lives of hundreds of people. And it continued to do this completely unchecked without any scrutiny or oversight from the government or proper challenge from the postmasters union until a group of campaigners got together and told their MPs that there was something going seriously wrong. I was alerted to the story in 2010 when a taxi driver told me his pregnant wife had been thrown in prison for a crime she didn't commit. That's quite a line, isn't it, if someone says that to you? Yeah, well, I mean, the way it came to me was I was on air at BBC Surrey presenting The Breakfast Show and we got a tweet from a company called Surrey Cars asking to bid for the BBC Surrey cab account. And if we had a BBC Surrey cab account, <laughs> I would have forwarded his tweet to management. But we didn't. And something about that tickled me. So I said something rather flippant back whilst I was on air on, on a tweet saying, you know, well, it depends whether or not your drivers will come on air and tell us some of their great stories. And the reply was, oh, I've got a story. So I called this guy after the show and spent 40 minutes on the phone to him. His name was Devinder Misra, and his wife was called Seema Misra. And she was the former West Byfleet sub-postmaster, and she was, at that moment, in prison, sent down on her son's 10th birthday, pregnant, in desperate fear of losing her baby. And he was in bits. And the one thing that made this take less time than it would normally do was the fact that there was already an organisation called the Justice for Sub-Postmasters Alliance, And a brilliant young journalist called Rebecca Thompson had spent a year putting together an investigation for Computer Weekly magazine, which had come out in 2009. So this was late 2010. And Devinder was able to say, look, there are more of us. There's the Justice for Sub-Postmasters Alliance. Have a look at this magazine article, Computer Weekly. But there hadn't been any broadcast on this other than a half-hour Welsh-language documentary. So I took it to my boss and my boss said take it to Jane French at Inside Out South which was the BBC's 
long-running investigation strand, which is now sadly defunct. And Jane French said, well, that looks good. If it's stacked, I'll put my best team on it. If that stacks up, you confront the resulting film, which I did in February 2011. It struck me as such a big story. It was huge. I mean, either, either these people were lying, and obviously we found more sort of postmasters who were in a similar position, and we did a 10-minute film featuring three of them, David Bristow and Joe Hamilton with the other two, all in our patch. And when the film went out, I was forwarded emails by the Inside Out team from other people who'd had similar things happen to them, who we hadn't even found in the in the run-up to the broadcast. And I thought, well, this, you know, all, either all these people are massive liars uh, who are now protesting their innocence, or this is a huge story. And I tried to get traction for it in the wider BBC and struggled a bit with that. Immediately alerted Private Eye, didn't hear back from them. I just put the, the film, the 10-minute Inside Out film, on my blog. And people started getting in contact with me. And 2011 was when my third child was born and I was doing a breakfast show six days a week. And I must admit, my eye probably wasn't on the ball as much as it could have been. So I didn't push this a huge, huge amount. But in the summer, I got another message from another sub-postmaster who only just read the blog post and was just about to go to court to plead guilty to false accounting because inexplicable holes had appeared in his accounts. And it galvanised me because I thought, if I don't do something about this... This is going to keep happening. People are going to keep getting criminalised without being aware that there are other people in the same boat as them. I mean, the Justice for Sub-Postmasters Alliance was not a very vocal organisation. And so I tried Private Eye again, and that's when Richard Brooks got back to me and said, oh, yeah, no, sorry we didn't... I remember seeing your other email. Sorry I didn't do anything on it. What, you know, what can you tell me? It sounds interesting. And so I talked to him and sent him all the emails and all the documents that I had and gave him everything I had. And he did his first article in September 2011. And slowly, through the good offices of Private Eye, once I'd left BBC Surrey, I was freelance and able to do a bit more work on it for nothing. We were able to get some traction for the story. And then Inside Out South, I went back to them when I had some more information. They said, OK, let's try and get this on the one show. Got it on the one show. That got it to a national audience. And that... You know, in the way that these things do, the more light you shine on a story, the more people come out of the woodwork and give you more information and become better and stronger contacts. And then we got the panorama away in 2015. And I think that was a big, big turning point. And by that stage, I was quite sort of firmly associated with the story. But it didn't really break as a scandal. I mean, it didn't actually... In those days, we were just asking the question because we didn't have any paper evidence that there was anything wrong with the Horizon system. We just had all these sub-postmasters with ruined lives and appalling stories to tell. And it was only when the sub-postmasters themselves got the funding to take the post office to the High Court that the story eventually broke out into the open and someone in authority sided with the postmasters in March 2019. And everything subsequent has unraveled from there. But that was that was when I think the media kind of woke up to the story in 2019 and went, oh, there's something really serious here. They've got a high court judgment, which is damning. So, yeah, that's been my involvement in the story, which has been the greatest privilege of my career to be able to report. I mean, it's like a 10-year, 11-year slog to build and build and build and build yeah, for their story, but also to get it to the public. There must have been times when you were doing this when you just thought, I, I know that I'm doing good, but I've got a mortgage to pay and I've got other stuff to to do. There must have been quite a lot of those moments, surely. I mean, there was a period, 2013, 2014, where I had paperwork, I had documents, and I was, I was looking at them going, oh my God, this is huge. But the post office were fantastic at just crushing any sense that this was going to break out as a story. They would call up 
journalists' editors and sort of feed them the poison and say, oh, they've got the wrong end of the stick. They're barking on about this. But honestly, we've, we've gone about this in the right way and our, our processes are absolutely... I mean, you know, in this stage, they were in the middle of a cover-up. They were in the middle of what some people have started to call a conspiracy to pervert the course of justice. And that still hasn't been properly unravelled yet. I mean, that's one of the things about the post office is it's just generally trusted, isn't it? It's just, it's been around forever. It's on the high street. There's lovely old ladies who run those little branches and, you know, they deliver your post for 60, 70p, whatever it is now. And it's been part of everyone's lives. I mean, I've I've read your book. It's the great post office scandal. Everyone should go and get a, a copy of it. One of the things that struck me when I read it was the sort of investigators of the post office. And, you know, bearing in mind, there's thousands of people who are dealing with lots of cash. Of course, they've got investigators because there's going to be a few that are a bit dodgy. Before Horizon and before the computer system, that investigative team always thought, hey, quite a lot of these post office postmasters are dodgy. And then when Horizon kind of proved that belief, they just sort of pushed on. with It's like, oh, we always knew this. Now we've got the proof. Yeah, I mean, the post office was stacked to the rafters with inept, incompetent people. And I have yet to see much evidence that that has changed. These were lifers who started off as either posties or counter workers and were promoted beyond their ability into positions of real power over other people's lives. Uh, A lot of the investigation branch were ex-coppers. There was a culture within the investigations branch. They're older than the police force. They're the oldest oldest recognised investigation force in the world. So effectively, they thought they were above the law. And their investigation methods were appalling. I spoke to a proper corporate investigator who was absolutely appalled by the way that they went about their business, their questioning methods, their techniques, their assumption of guilt. And one forensic expert said he was told by a post office investigator that they had been told as a matter of policy to disregard the idea that their IT system could in any way be screwy. So they work on the assumption that the IT system is right. Where's the money gone, sunshine? And what they put these postmasters through, who don't forget are community-minded, hardworking, loyal and trusting people. The reason they went into business with the post office was because they trusted an authority. They trusted in a government agency in the same way that we used to. And they didn't know what they were doing. And they were allowed to carry on unchecked because the senior management in the post office didn't know what it was doing either. They'd be described as the Gestapo, the heavies who'd come in and sort of grill sub-postmasters without representation in a back room for hours until they had what they needed on tape. And very few of these investigation tapes have ever survived. When any sub-postmaster tries to get them off the post office, they've been mysteriously lost or destroyed because the investigation branch were dodgy. They they were rogue, as was the whole of the post office at that, you know, by the time that Horizon prosecutions were in full swing. It was a branch of the government that went rogue for more than a decade and because the government had no oversight of it because it was an arm's length business and because the National Federation of Sub-Postmasters was an entirely supine trade association rather than a union that was more interested in going to its annual dinners and and the hierarchical nature of that organisation needs to be unpicked. It was just a disaster, a real disaster and every time I meet someone or hear about a story of a life that has been ruined. It's very hard, as I think I said in the book, it's very hard for us to get angry about something on the scale of of this because one miscarriage of justice 
should make us all very, very angry. More than 700. We're not capable of feeling 700 times as angry. And and yet that's what happened. Those are, those are 700 lives and families' lives around them who've been ruined to, to a greater or lesser degree. There are some people who come through it relatively unscathed, and I speak to a few of them all, all the time. There are some people who are so traumatised they took their lives or they ended up having a complete mental breakdown or they lost every single penny that they owned and have got broken futures. And and the state did this to them. I always say that the first job of the state is to keep its citizens safe. And yet the exact opposite, the, the, the state committed harm against a huge cohort of incredibly trusting, loyal and hardworking people. And that is unforgivable. And there's plenty more to talk about with Nick. So we'll be back after this break. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And we're back with Nick Wallace. You talked there a bit about trust, you know, trust in institutions. This week, there was a, a Reuters digital news report released. Uh, lots of kind of headlines about trust in news and journalism. When you think about, you know, the, the work that you do and sort of how the public respond to it, are you concerned that people are, are losing faith in institutions like journalism and news? Yes. I mean, the, the Depp v. Heard trial was a case in point. People particularly in America, but I think that's happening over here, get their information from social media, from sources who are not proper, rigorous journalists. They are people with a platform who are looking for an audience and they will tend to skew their editorial output towards whatever gives them a bigger audience. And you end up with a horrendous echo chamber of people seeking biased information, receiving biased information, creating hardening and cementing their opinions based on misinformation. I mean, Vladimir Putin has created a country full of people through his manipulation of the media who largely believe in his narrative. And that's why America is so divided, because when I went over there to cover the Deputy Heard trial in Virginia, people genuinely couldn't get their heads around the idea that I was 
trying to be neutral and objective in my reporting. They wanted to know whose side I was on. And if I didn't say I, I was on a particular side, I was therefore untrustworthy. I was obviously shilling for someone. I was just not revealing who I was shilling for. There was no concept of neutrality. I mean, going going back to this, so you sort of got in a, sort of inadvertently caught up in the Depp Heard trial when Channel 5 sent you to cover the UK leg of that um, court case. Why did you suddenly become the go-to man about a uh, Hollywood trial? Well, I went on that first day for Channel 5 News and I had experience of tweeting court proceedings through my work on the post office, high court litigation. And whilst Channel 5 did not require me to live tweet what was happening, they wanted me to make a TV news report, I thought, well, if I start tweeting it, I can start pointing people towards the broadcast in the afternoon and it's something to do and so off I go. And immediately I found this huge audience. My, my mentions and my followers sort of started flipping up like a fruit machine. It was It was incredible. So I carried on tweeting what was going on and because it was in the middle of the pandemic, that was about the only work that I had that month, that one day for Channel 5 News. I thought it would be fun to just carry on doing it because it was interesting what was going on in court. And so I said, well, look, if I can get back here tomorrow, would you be interested in me doing that to this newfound audience of thousands of people online on Twitter? And they all said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I had no idea I was going to be able to get back into court because Channel 5 News had got me a coveted place in court. Um, but I know how you can wing these things sometimes and presented myself in court the next day and sort of got in on the nod and sat down and said, right, I'm in. I'm going to live tweet today. And because I had a tip jar for my work on the post office story and I sort of repurposed it, hurriedly repurposed it and said, look, if you want to chuck a few quid to cover my bus fare and my lunch money into the tip jar, I'd be really grateful. And people were very, very enthusiastic about doing that. And I, I soon realised that I'd be able to sort of pay for myself to cover the trial uh, for as long as I possibly could. And so then you went to cover it in America, which I guess was, was that driven by the your tip jar as well? Yeah, it, it was just, the, it was the knowledge that there was a huge constituency of people who liked my work. And I quite like the idea of being the only journalist to cover both trials. And I wanted to see a bit of America. And so I, I asked them, I said, look, if you can fund me to come to America, I will come and cover the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial in, in Virginia. And of course, the huge crowds that would turn up in Virginia every day to cheer Johnny Depp into court, the incredible social media snowballing effect. They called it the first TikTok trial, didn't they? And, and you know, it was being televised live around the world, streamed on YouTube. And that was being picked up, consumed, re-edited, repackaged, reconsumed and seen by millions. I mean, picking up on what you said there before, this idea of kind of independent journalism. I mean, I went and had a look at the videos that you kind of posted most days and the comments are fascinating. And I think if you're listening to this and you're interested in media and social media, go and read the comments in the bottom of each of those videos. Because as you, as you said, people wanted to know where you were on it. Were you team Johnny or or not? People, um, people still ask me this every day, you know, mm. even colleagues. So, so who do you think really was the, the bad? You know, so I wasn't there. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just reporting on what happened. And obviously, I'm speaking to as many sources as I can, and I'm probably going to write a book on this as well. And so I'm talking to both parties and not the principals, but the, mm. the, the people close to both parties. 
with a view to getting some more information because as we know this is going to spin out into uh, possible appeals and you know the ongoing media war that's happening right now so yeah I mean, people still want to know where I stand on it I don't stand on it I don't hold a candle for Amber Heard or Johnny Depp I, I'm not being paid by anyone to have an opinion I'm just really really interested in this story and there's obviously a massive market for it which is a freelance journalist is all you can ask for is there any way to convince some of those people that that is the case and that you you are not secretly hiding uh, support or you're being bankrolled by some nefarious organization no well people have their truth and if you are sitting outside their truth then it's almost an attack on their identity and their way of thinking and the conclusions they have come to. If they are being challenged on what they believe to be a settled truth, they don't like it. They would rather think that you were up to something than have their own assumptions, conclusions and identity challenged because their identity is more important to them than whatever a journalist is saying. And if they don't like it, well, that's because you're a shady journalist and there's nothing you can do about that. And that is why America is so divided and, and, and why... Putin has managed to completely wrap up the, the mentality of the Russian people. America, you are red or blue. And there is a dividing line at which the, there is a culture war front line through which Depp v. Heard ran in many, many strands. Men's rights, female abusers, Me Too movement, freedom of speech. I mean, goodness me, what that trial has done for the First Amendment, I'm not sure. But I'd like to hear some constitutional experts tell me their thoughts on it. How someone can be libeled in an article in America, which doesn't even mention them. It happened, and it happened conclusively. But yeah, where, where does that leave the First Amendment? I don't know. So so all these fascinating things run through it, and people just simply do not want to be challenged. They believe Amber Heard was abused, and therefore all the journalists and all the online trolls siding with Johnny Depp are bots or paid for by Johnny Depp's machine in some way, or... Johnny Depp was abused and there's a false media narrative that always believes women and that's patently wrong, etc. So, you know, you just have to sort of wade into this horrendous minefield, put on a tin hat to deal with all the abuse and try and pick apart as much interesting information as you can because there is a lot going on in that story and that's why I keep going back to it. I mean, you know, social media has given me a living. Social media through Twitter has allowed me to cover the post office scandal. It's allowed me to cover Depp v. Hurt. There are huge benefits to social media, but there is also a downside. And I think it would be stupid if we thought it wasn't contributing to the erosion of trust in organisations and authoritative sources and journalism in particular. You have to be thick-skinned to a certain degree to be a journalist, but in an unfounded criticism, which is spread about you online, can be damaging to you. But I don't think there's any point in engaging and you just have to hope. And, and one of the, you know, in the thick of the trial, I was getting a, a lot of grief. And I just thought, well, I will put my head down. I will get on with it. And hopefully my work will stand up and speak for itself. And I know that what I was getting was a fraction of what I would get if I were a woman. And it was a tiny, tiny little fraction of what the likes of Amber Heard were getting, what Carol Cadwallader gets for being a female prominent female journalist online and the like you do have to take steps to deal with it because you just don't need it in your life it's not helping anything and it's just a fact of being in the online space nowadays 
So post office scandal, there was a book, there was a, a Radio 4 series, um, very successful uh, Radio 4 series and podcast. The work you've done on the Depp Heard trial, and you're just saying there maybe there's a book in it too. Uh, what else are you, are you working on at the moment? Well, the book, you know, doesn't have a huge marketing budget. So I've been taking it out to do talks in various places. I've got um, a tour which starts at the end of the month and goes around the southern part of the UK this summer and, and September. And in Shoreham at the end of the month on June 29th, the Shoreham sub-postmaster, Sammy Sabat, who, who gave evidence so powerfully at the recent human impact hearings in the public inquiry, is going to be on stage with me. He is a thoroughly decent, incredibly hardworking person who was ruined, taken to court, given a criminal conviction and broken by the post office. And I'm hoping that we'll have one of those moments where the community who knew him will be in the audience and will be able to change the narrative to talk to people locally and say, oh, no, 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 it wasn't what you think. There's this whole big scandal with the IT system and, and, and Sammy was caught up in it. His conviction was quashed last year. So these evenings are really quite weird and quite powerful because you summarise the scandal as much as you're able, do a tiny bit of reading from the book, but also then get individuals up on stage to talk about their experience and how it's impacted them. So I'm taking the book on tour just to spread the word about the scandal to try and sell more books, but also to raise money for the Horizon Scandal Fund as well. But but also to try and just connect with communities who still don't know a huge about, amount about this deal. They just sort of saw the headlines last year and saw the pictures outside the Court of Appeal. Uh, and yes, I am probably going to write a book about Debbie Heard. The press going to ruin my summer. But you know, that's if you want to call yourself an author, I think you have to write more than one book. Otherwise, you're just a bloke who wrote a book. Um, so yeah, so so Debbie Heard's on the horizon. And hopefully, there'll be a, a market for that. And uh, if you want a, a media podcast exclusive, I will give you one. I am going to be doing my own podcast with Rebecca Thompson, who is the journalist who broke the story for Computer Weekly, all about the post office scandal. So Rebecca and I have been. Um, slowly putting together the beginnings of a, of a podcast series, which will hopefully ramp up as the statutory inquiry swings around in September. Um, and yeah, we're looking for supporters and sponsors of that if anyone is interested. But I think, you know, it should be an opportunity to pull in investigators and solicitors whose voices you don't get that chance to hear in a long form format and just say, right, tell me everything from your perspective. And just there is a tiny market for this post office story, but it's growing and people are really committed and really interested in it. And there are so many interesting voices and stories out there. And now to have the person who broke the story working with me, again, it's another privilege. So, yeah, that's the plan for the rest of the year. So what websites should people go to if they want to chuck some dosh in the tip jar or find out more about the book and the cases? Tip jar currently closed because I think I've got enough enough products on oh. sale. That people want to buy the book, they go to postofficescandal.com. That's got all the theatre dates that are coming up uh, over summer and in September. And you can also buy the book there through my publisher, uh, Bath Publishing. Oh, and also I'm doing something that is just about to launch, so I think I can tell you about it. I've started presenting podcasts for the OCCRP, which is the Organised Crime and Corruption Reporting Project which is this fascinating, amazing journalistic organisation who have done some incredible stories uh, which they deliver online. They are one of the new models of journalism like the Bureau of Investigative Journalism. They have a team of journalists based all around the world. What I'm doing is talking to ACCRP journalists about the stories that they broke, the risks that they took, because some of them, you know, they're dealing with the mafia and or proper organised scary crime. And obviously they're doing a huge amount on Russian oligarchs at the moment. It's just shining a light on their journalism. So that's going to come out um, very, very soon. And I'd, I'd recommend looking out for that if, if you need another podcast in your life. <laughs> There's always room for more podcasts. Uh, Nick, thanks for your time. It's been great to talk to you. 
It's my pleasure, Matt. Thanks for having me on. Really, really honoured. And to all of you listening, uh, thank you for giving us your time to listen to the show we make every week. If you do enjoy it, uh, we would appreciate it if you could support us through our Patreon. Patreon.com slash MediaPod. Patreon.com slash MediaPod. It helps funds the work we do and makes sure that we can do a great show every week. Uh, another way to support us is by taking out a trial at Riverside.fm. That's the software we use to record the show. It's a great way to record audio and video for podcasts or for YouTube or for live streams if you want to ensure that we get a kickback make sure you use the phrase media pod when signing up it also gives you a discount to riverside as well so riverside.fm and use our trial code media pod and if you're new to the podcast remember you can subscribe to it it's free just press the subscribe or follow button in apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts and you'll get a new episode from us every Friday. My name's Matt Deegan. The producer was Phoebe Adler-Ryan with support from Matt Hill. It was a Rethink Audio production, and I'll see you next week. Bye.